hi everybody and welcome back to the Atheist Experience. I am your host today, Russell Glasser, and we're broadcasting live on Sunday, February 25th, 2018. And with me today is Jen Peoples. How you doing? Good. How are you? Not bad. The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting the separation of church and state and the promotion of positive atheist culture. Uh, so, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in addition, I also uh, want to make a small announcement that uh, we have, the uh, crew of the Atheist Experience have been talking to the people at the American Atheist Convention this year, and uh, we are looking into the possibility of doing a live show uh, from I'm told the main stage on, uh, uh, let's see, the first day, which, is, oh, wait, okay, on Friday, Friday, March 30th, you got the wrong thing on the GoFundMe, Mark. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, March 30th from 12 to 2 p.m., uh, I am going to head over there and host, and we're still looking into who the co-host is going to be, uh, but I think uh, Tracy is maybe going. Uh, <clears throat> and we've got a GoFundMe up. Uh, we are planning to bring our, uh, like, 10 crew members over there, uh, and we would appreciate it if you would check out the GoFundMe, which is, uh, well, you can get there by going to GoFundMe.com and searching for Atheist Experience, or you can also check right now on the video if you look down below me you can see that link which is gofundme.com slash axp live at american atheist con with dashes for spaces you're not going to remember that so actually go to the video or our facebook page uh and we would love it if you would donate uh and i'm really excited uh american atheist is always a fun time so help us out would you so this is to get the crew there. Yes. Right? And I guess um, the equipment yes. that we need. Yep. And uh, I guess uh, you guys were discussing the format of this, so it may be slightly different than the normal format. Well, yeah. I mean, it will be hard to take live callers, but right. there will be a big audience at American Atheists, and yeah. I'm sure we can work something out because we know how our audience loves to hear atheists ask us yeah. questions, right? <laughs> but anyway, there will be, it'll be an interactive session, so it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Right. Uh, and I'm sorry, not only the atheist experience, but we're also going to have uh, the people from Talk Heathen there, uh, which is <laughs> the host of Talk Heathen, is now cheering himself wildly out <laughs> out there in the studio. In the audience, yeah. Uh, and you can see him do that live, too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, what's up with you? Oh, not much. I had, uh, had this email that, that came in actually about a little over a month ago that mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about here because it's an example of people um, talking about things and offering advice about things without actually understanding what it is they're talking about. Oh, no. <laughs> so there are people that think that if you get the right answer to the God question, suddenly you become an uber skeptic and qualified to talk about other things. Mm -hmm. So this guy writes us, 
And he's very concerned about the promotion of creation science and intelligent design in public schools. And so, As we all are. Yes, yes. It's not something that has escaped our notice. And he says in this email, You seem to be going through an endless cycle. Religious fruitcakes gain control of a school's governing body. They try to introduce creationism or intelligent design in some form or another. Perhaps it's teach the controversy or offer them as alternative theories. The scientific community rallies and takes court action. So far, they've won every time, but that cannot be assured going forward. How would Gorsuch vote? And these things have never gone to the Supreme Court, so they never get that far. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't want to say that's not a concern eventually. Right, but. Um, like the Supreme Court, if they get taken over by a bunch of uh, very religious people, could always hear a case and make a blanket ruling that just throws everything into chaos. Right. In theory. The thing about that, though, is that in order for a, court, a case to get to court, there has to be some dispute at a lower court level. Right. And so far, the lower courts have been unanimous on this. Yeah. Um, so the, the creationists have never <laughs> won a court case. And um, I don't even know if they expect to. I no. mean, they use these court cases, which are basically at other people's expense. They, they right. sucker some city or state into standing up for a law that they know damn well is never going to hold up. Right. Uh, and And... They drum it up for fundraising purposes, but in reality, when it hits the courts, it loses over and over and over again. Yeah. So this guy, he, he, he claims that every victory has been Pyrrhic. Maybe it's because he sees them using these as fundraising deals, but they're raising money from a limited pool of people, and, and I don't care if they want to waste their money on that. Mm. Um, his, his solution is, suppose we do not give them a fight. Suppose we say to the parents, the choice is yours. If you want your children to have a second-rate science education, if you want to lock them out of being able to pursue a career in science, so be it. If that is not what you want, you go fight the bastards. Go after them. Kick them off your school's governing body. Insist on high-quality biology textbooks that do not skirt around the issue of evolution. Well, it's interesting that this guy offers this piece of advice because that is exactly what has happened in every single court case. Yeah, what I don't understand in that argument is who is the you and who is yeah, the I, they in that. Yeah, I think he thinks that. that the scientific community and atheist organizations are the ones filing these lawsuits. Right. In fact, you have to have standing in order to file a lawsuit like this. And unless we live in the district where these things are happening, we don't have standing. So it is actually the parents of the students who are being affected by this who are filing these lawsuits and bringing these cases to court. And, in fact, in the latest round of this, the, the Kitts Miller v. Dover case, which was back in, I think, 2005 was or Was that six. latest? That's uh, it's been 13 a while. years ago. It's been a while. Has there but not been was, anything major since then? That was such an epic dragging of the creationist and intelligent design proponents that I think they're still out there licking their wounds. <laughs> um, and, I mean, and it was the parents that brought the lawsuit. Um, and then they voted, all the people that voted to, to basically put intelligent design in the curriculum the parents, the voters, went out and removed all of those people from the school board. So yeah. they not only lost in court, they lost their seat on the school board, and they basically retook 
their school board. That has happened in every single case where this has come before the courts. Right. So, Although I don't want to let people get complacent because we right. now have a United States Secretary of Education who who is a religious extremist and, exactly. and among other things, uh, does not seem to believe that public schools should even exist. Right. Uh, and does think that religious education should be on an equal level with real education. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, that, and that is a significant um, problem that we have to combat on a national level, and that's why we need um, organizations like the ACLU and Freedom From Religion Foundation and others that basically serve as watchdogs. Here in Texas, we have our own watchdog organization. It's a one-of-a-kind organization called Texas Freedom Network. And they're the ones that are organizing all of the um, activities um, around um, what the Texas State Board of Education comes up with because we do have some creationists on the SBOE and we have to be very vigilant about their attempts at getting creationism and intelligent design um, inserted into the, the science curriculum in particular. Um, TFN's very active on that. Um, many of us um, provide money and time and effort to TFN um, as we can. And so if you don't have an organization like that in your state, I suggest that you get together with like-minded individuals and create one. Um, Texas is in kind of a unique position because our legislature and our politicians tend to overreach whenever they can. And so uh, that's why you see a lot of um, activity like TFN and also a lot of <coughs> Supreme Court decisions that come out of Texas that end up advancing civil rights for everyone because um, our, our government is, you know, everything's bigger in Texas and the, the mistakes tend to get bigger too, so. Right. Anyway, so that was a, an example of, you know, weighing in on a subject without actually understanding what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, That's... and I mean, I, I do not know this person, this emailer's situation, but it doesn't yeah. sound like he's a parent. And when he says, if those parents want to let their kids be ignorant, then let them fight against it. Yeah. You and I are both parents, yeah. and we damn well do care yes. <laughs> what kind of stuff the schools are pushing on our kids. Well, and, I mean, his last thing, um, he talks about, let us not merely teach evolution, but also the story of how, how the science of evolutionary biology developed and about the characters involved and... He, ta he talks about Darwin, um, Alfred Russell Wallace, Mendel, Watson Crick, Franklin, and, and many others. I, I'm very active in my child's um, school, and I know, um, you know very well what he studies in school. He studies all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. That stuff's all in the curriculum A lot of it, right now. Yeah. So I don't know where you're getting your information, what, school, what your school district's like if you even know, but that stuff, this is Texas, and that stuff's in the curriculum, at least in my child's school. So, yeah. Uh, so, speaking of talking about things that you have no idea about, <laughs> uh, completely unprompted, uh, I haven't been asked to plug this book, but uh, last week I attended a talk by uh, physicist Daniel Whiteson and uh, his cartoonist friend, Jorge Cham, who some people might know as the author of the webcomic uh, PhD Comics. Uh -huh. uh, so the two of them have collaborated, and uh, I actually have... <laughs> 
uh, a special interest in this because Daniel Whiteson, the physicist professor, is actually an old classmate of mine. He and I were on the high school debate team together oh, at cool. Los Alamos High School. Uh, and I listened to his talk. He's still a good talker. <laughs> the, the Los Alamos High School debate team did very well with a lot of people. <laughs> so I, I want to brag on my school a little bit. But also, I want to mention this book, We Have No Idea, A Guide to the Unknown Universe. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, full of entertaining illustrations by Jorge Cham. Uh, and... Uh, it's an interesting book because it sort of frankly acknowledges the problems that we have, or the, not not problems, but the gaps that we have in our scientific knowledge today. And instead of just papering them over, it paints them as exciting because a lot of what science is about is about discovering new things that that nobody has ever known before. That's what really gets scientists going. And the content of this book and of the talk they did together was basically saying, look, there's all this stuff we actually don't know yet. We don't fully understand dark matter. We don't know what the smallest particles are. Uh, there are tons and tons of things we do not yet know about the universe, and that's great because there's still plenty of chances for kids today to be pioneers and be the first ones to discover these things. Uh, during the talk, uh, during the Q&A section, I asked Daniel, so, hey, <laughs> do you ever get contacted by crackpots of various kinds who uh, like the fact that we have no idea about things and use that as an opportunity to shoehorn in uh, uh, the things that they think they do know. I'm talking your Deepak Chopras of the world who also yeah. don't know anything but pretend that they have the answers to these questions. Uh, and he said, yeah, absolutely. People pitch me on their silly pet theories all the time. Well, how many times do we get emails from people with no academic background None. in anything <laughs> yeah. and they, they want our help in getting their um, basically... Um, strange theory of the universe <coughs> peer-reviewed yeah. in some way. Right. And I mean, Which, one guy literally <laughs> sent us like, uh, it was like a sheet of loose-leaf paper that he had drawn some stuff on and he scanned it and sent it to us at one point. I, I think I still have that <laughs> yeah. somewhere in my archive. And that was like part of his thing he wanted peer-reviewed. So A, <laughs> even we can tell it's <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. And B, even if we didn't know that, I mean, you know, even if we couldn't tell, we're not qualified yeah. to comment on your theory of the universe at all. We're, we're just a couple of clowns on TV once in a yeah. while. <laughs> we don't have these PhDs. But if you want to know more about what we don't know about, uh, again, the book is We Have No Idea. And uh, also, uh, if you want just a quick taste, uh, you can search for a YouTube video that, uh, that Daniel Whiteson and Jorge Cham did together about the Higgs boson, uh, which was picked up by a lot of news organizations and uh, reposted as one of the clearest explanations that anybody seems to have managed to come up with for explaining the Higgs boson to uh, lay people. So that's it. I just wanted to throw my friend a little support. I might have to get that uh, for my son. Yeah. I, uh, I 
got two signed copies of it today, and uh, one of them I am about to donate to the ACA library. So uh, if anyone would like to check it out, then come on by. All right. Are we ready to get started on calls? Let's roll. Okay. Thomas in Georgetown. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I was, uh, <clears throat> the, I guess the, the operator asked me what I wanted to talk about, and I said that uh, I've been listening to you guys' show uh, a, a lot, uh, listen to it on YouTube, and uh, I actually like it a lot. Thanks. And um, uh, Well, I like how you guys get people thinking about stuff that they don't, you know, thinking in ways that they're not used to thinking. And you could sometimes it seems like when people talk it's like the first time that they really thought about certain things. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you grew up in a church, a lot of churches right. don't don't encourage people to ask questions and it, explore in things. In fact, I've heard a lot of stories about about kids being punished for asking right. awkward questions. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess th there you go. Um, so uh, <clears throat> so I'm you know. I guess uh, I told again. I told the operator that I was. A, she, she asked if I was an atheist or a theist, and I said I was a theist because I, in general, I'd say I am, but I still uh, definitely have kind of uh, my agnostic moments. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but uh, and I don't really. I mean, if something is. <clears throat> you know, been disproved. I mean, I don't believe in, you know, that like all, all the animals in the world were on Noah's Ark. Or, and, uh, so, so you're not thanks. a young earth Christian, at least. No, I actually wasn't. I was raised uh, kind of, we just, evolution was talked about like it was just, that was the reality. Yeah. Okay. So, so what denomination are you? Episcopal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that that's one of the most chill yeah. Christian groups, I think. Right. Well, but I still, uh, at the same time, though, <clears throat> I would say that just my, it's one of my, uh, it's just one of the most fulfilling uh, things to me. Uh, even, you know, even in some of my most uh, kind of uh, skeptical periods, uh, I was still having some of my best experiences uh in some kind of religious capacity. Um, in in what way? What what makes you feel fulfilled about that? And I'm not trying to jump on you or say that you, you shouldn't feel fulfilled by that. I just want more uh, to understand a little better. Sure. Well, I, mean, I could give you lots of different examples. Uh, I had one particular experience uh, at like a, a Christmas, uh, midnight Christmas uh, Eve service. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm sure somebody could give a, maybe a psychological account of, of what it was, but you know, it was, you know, I don't know if it was the music or, or what it was, was, but it was kind of like, we just, it would be one of my highest or best experiences. Uh, and, and I have experiences, but also I pray and those are kind of my, when I pray, I mean, I can't imagine, uh, not having that, uh, having like the prayer life yeah uh, so uh, what I can tell you uh, I, there was a period in my life when I was Episcopalian I identified it as, as an Episcopalian I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church I was an altar girl the whole nine yards 
Okay? And what I tell people is that if the only Christians I'd ever been in contact with were Episcopalians, I'd probably be at least nominally still an Episcopalian. Um, even though I had some doubts about sort of the supernatural claims of Christianity, I didn't have any complaint about Episcopalianism and Episcopalians themselves because they're some of the nicest uh, people you'd ever want to meet. Um, and I loved the church community, um, again, because of the people there. Um, unfortunately for, um, I guess, my, uh, my parents in particular, um, I did meet other kinds of Christians. And I realized that they, they believe that they are practicing the same Christian traditions as the Episcopalians. When I went to, you know, when I questioned what the, the fundamentalists were saying about what was in the Bible, I'd go and read that passage of the Bible, and it was right there. Um, it was what the fundamentalists were saying. I'd go and present this sure. to the Episcopalians and ask them, hey, these guys say this about this passage. What do you say? And they would kind of gloss over it with some kind of um, more, uh, I guess, softer, gentler version of it. But they didn't have a good reason for why they had a softer, gentler interpretation of that. And so without them being able to tell me why their interpretation was right and the fundamentalists were wrong, um, I started to lose confidence in what they were telling me. And I never for once thought that they were um, bad or malicious people because I certainly knew that these were some of the best examples of humanity I could ever hope to meet versus the fundamentalists who were definitely not good representations of humanity. Um, but what that taught me was that there's something in this doctrine, you know, th the claims of each side cannot both be true, and obviously the, the religion itself is not what's making these people good. And then, and then I, well, you know, there was the questions about the, the claims themselves, um, so, and that was a whole right. other ball of wax. Well, so I got a book. Uh, I don't have it anymore, but I had it uh, last year for a while, and it was uh, called like uh, it was like the kind of like the worst parts of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I remember, you know, so there's a lot. I remember there was one that was. Uh, it was in the Psalms, I think, and it was like uh, something about it's our joy to bash the heads of the right. babes or yeah. something, something like that. So, uh, and I, uh, but, well, a couple of things that kind of, uh, the way that I came to see it was, well, I just see that all as, you know, in the con in the historical context of, you know, this tribal uh, group from, you know, the Bronze Age, uh kind of probably uh, somewhat, you know, representative of the time and, and place. Uh, well, but I would. I mean, yeah, but it's it's weird to act like we're basing a philosophy. I mean, to on the one hand say that this is a bygone era and we don't follow their principles anymore, but also say that this is somehow the most perfect book ever written and has great ideas that you should live your life by. Well, Having I think it's perfect. Book. Well, yeah. Um, and it sounds like part of what you get out of church 
is is the social experiment uh, the social experience which is totally valid i mean people yeah. need other people they need friends they need to spend time with each other uh and as far as like religious music goes uh, i've got no place to talk i'm a lifelong atheist but i also sang tenor two in a choir starting in uh high school and going on for many many years uh and Still, one of my great pleasures of the year is uh, joining uh, an old chorus I used to sing with as they do a, a, a group production of Handel's Messiah, which is very religious, but I dig Handel. Um, <clears throat> none of that... I don't know if it's the, if it's the social uh, yeah. part. Uh, I mean, part of it is the kind of the more just religious, almost the ritual and... and the more, yeah, like, for I mean, instance, Episcopalian, hey, Episcopal rituals are very comforting. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, have you guys, are you all familiar with that movie? Uh, it's kind of a documentary, I guess, but it's called Baraka. No. Uh, no, I haven't seen I haven't it. heard of it. <clears throat> okay, it was, I mean, I think it was from the, maybe the 90s, but it was, uh, and then they made a sequel kind of to it that, and what it is, is it's really well photographed. It almost looks like a National Geographic type thing. And it goes in and it, it goes in, it shows all these rituals. It shows somebody being baptized. It shows kind of, uh, kind of indigenous religious ceremonies and people dancing and stuff like that. And when I saw that movie, I was like, I mean, that blew me away because that stuff just speaks to me. And, and that really, and, the, and it's not just the way it looks, but it's, it's tied in there is the idea that you're trying to contact or interact with this higher divine type thing. I mean, that's an important part of it. Yeah. And again, it's, it's complicated to have those interactions with it, especially if you are not really sure that the divine power that they're trying to contact actually exists, <clears throat> because I can totally understand getting in this feeling of doing a thing with a group uh, and uh, and feeling togetherness and feeling like the ritual you're doing is bringing everyone closer. And yet that can kind of be applied to a lot of things. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to spoil the musical A Book of Mormon, which everybody's heard I'm a big fan of, but by the end of it, okay. they're all still real devoted to the idea of their religion, but now they have this totally weird, unrecognizable religion that involves uh, Boba Fett and, and Lord of the Rings. Uh, and, okay. and, and was just manufactured by, by this nerd on the fly who doesn't really understand the religion. And yet it's still this very joyful, beautiful experience based on a thing that they all know doesn't make any sense. Um, well, yeah, so, I mean, I see how... Another thing about the Bible is, is that the, the... So the early Christians were they didn't have, you know, the Gospels or the New Testament. That didn't come until, you know, hundreds of years. And so they, you know, were, they just kind of had, I guess, what they call, I mean, I read a, a thing that kind of says what, the, it's a document from the early church, like 200 or 100 or something, and it tells how they would have communion, and they would, uh, I guess they would say something like the Lord's Prayer, 
I don't no. even, I'm skeptical that that yeah, is authentic. A lot of people, atheists in particular, have like latched on to some things that claim to know what the early church founders were thinking, and I don't think much of it is historically well justified. Yeah, I'd be. Well, this, this, this might be like this might be like even like 200, 250 years, mm-hmm. 250 AD or something. It's a, it's a, but I'm just the idea is is that before the gospels and and the other letters of Paul and stuff were made canonical and uh, that. You know that they had that that wasn't really a big part of it. Yeah, well, it is certainly true that a lot of that a lot of basically traditions and ideas coalesced over the next several centuries. I mean, uh, right? You know, and that even the Bible that we see today wasn't really uh, canonized, but was sort of put together gradually over a whole bunch of different books, and some of them didn't make the cut and maybe even completely contradict what you find in the Bible today. Well, so then, so in that sense, well, I guess what I'm saying is, is that Jesus, at least the way it's told in the story, was somebody who had issues with the religious leaders of the time, and they were essentially <laughs> saying that he was in, engaging, yeah. uh, you know. But you can find and, cult so, leaders today who have issues with the current mainstream religions, but what they want is to uh, get praise and worship for themselves. And just because okay, well, somebody okay. just because somebody uh, disagrees with the prevailing dogma doesn't mean that they're not out to get something themselves. No, 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 that's not, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't my meaning. Let, let, me, let me finish real quick. So what I was going to say was, is that, so they... So that was an issue then, and then, then also there were the other, the kind of versions of Christianity that didn't, you know, like the Gnostic Gospels and that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and, and now there's, uh, you know, all these different uh, denominations. So uh, there, I mean, there was always that that kind of element has always been part. I mean, with the, with Islam, you have the Quran, and then that's pretty consistent throughout, but. In Christianity, you had, you know, there's, they change the books that are in the Bible, and some people say these are the books, and other people say these are the books. And, and then you just have the kind of the unofficial versions where you meet somebody and they say, well, you know, I consider myself Christian, but I believe in this and that. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't really feel like that there's a, uh, a significant uh, doctrine that, that is – uh, universal. I mean, the Gospels, I guess, would be the closest. Well, I, I, you wouldn't get an argument from us. I mean, basically, everybody's um, version of their God is a one-off. So, you know, no two people have an identical concept of what they mean when they invoke a God. But there's certain things they tend to have in common. No, not, not really. Not really. I mean, you know. Well, most tend to say that God is like the source of creation and existence. Well, well, I'm, and do you believe that? Well, yeah, that would be the that mm. would be the, the the minimum that I would believe. So, that, so you that, think that, that that what is written in Genesis is literally true? No, well, he already no, says no, it doesn't. Not that it, okay. Yeah, well, that's another thing I was going to say is that even as as early as <clears throat> the early church fathers, and this is definitely uh, they say things about Genesis and about 
the creation stories that almost sound like something you guys would say on your show. I mean, the, well, the, the early church my, father, the early church father origin says, you know, he says, okay, so, you know, he's, he, how are we having days when he hasn't even, uh, created, uh, the sun yet? I'm sorry. You know, who and, said and, that? Or origin, O R I G I E N. He's a early yeah, church a, father. Uh, okay. And Augustine, Augustine, who's Augustine, probably yeah. after Jesus, and then Paul was probably one of the most authoritative voices okay. in the history. But of I, I think. Yeah, okay, you go ahead. No, I, I mean, I guess I'm trying to understand what your question is here because right. I mean, you, you're you're following a similar line of. I'm saying I there's guess, always been freedom. There's always been freedom to, uh, to, to take whatever you think is the central message, which they actually... And even sure, but I think and, and that, my question would be broader than that, which is why do we care what the central message is? What is it about the Bible that we would, that we would specifically see as authoritative at all? Why is, the, why is speculating on what they meant any more interesting than just any other random person uh, making up an idea about the universe? Well, I would say that's a good point in the sense of if you're going up to somebody on the street who's trying to decide, you know, you know, if you're trying to, if he were to ask, why should I, I don't even have so much time on my hands, you know, why should I even look into this? But and your answer for somebody would be? Who was, I wouldn't be trying to convince him, okay. but for me, I'm me having already been there. I'm looking at. I've I've already looked at. It. And so, so I believe that. Uh, well, I mean, so I've put in the time, and like I say, I'm still open minded, and I have my agnostic moments. But uh, I, well, I what what do you look at? Okay, I think I think you. There's probably a misunderstanding about what you mean by agnostic, but. Uh, all that aside, what you've actually presented here is the the typical, very muddy, um, kind of um, loose interpretation that's very personal that I find from a lot of Episcopalians, that basically you right. don't want to be pinned down into any doctrinal statement. Um, that's fine. fine. And... And that way, you it, it well, seems like good. that. Well, no, that what that means is that you're not you're not willing to commit to any statement that you think you have to defend. And so no, I'll, I'll I'll commit to statements. Well, my question to you then would be. But um, also, but to me, being religious is not about. I have my religious life, which I find very fulfilling, and it's right. not about committing to statements. I'll commit to some statements. <laughs> So, so really the thing that you've committed to, though, by identifying yourself as a theist, is that you believe that this God exists. And so yes. my question to you is define your God and present evidence of its existence. Well, okay, well, yeah, well, I mean, so like I was saying, you know, I looked into the, uh, I mean, there's so many. Look, <laughs> into all the arguments and all the, no, no, just the, your uh, your best your best piece of evidence. Yeah, that and, your God exists. Uh, I well, I just okay. want to add that we've been on this call for a while, so uh, okay, so sorry. we may have to cut it short quick. soon. But sure, I'll say something real quick. Sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, one of the things I find convincing is is that uh, when you ask, uh, you know, what why is there something rather than nothing, or or why is there any kind of existence? Uh, and I don't mean why is there this particular universe because there's scientific ways of talking about that, but why is there anything at all? 
uh, it leads to an infinite regress. No, I mean, I think, I, and for people who aren't watching the video, I'm holding up this book again, whose title is We Have No Idea, which is a perfectly legitimate answer exactly. and not a reason exactly. to, yeah, but not That's a reason I mean. to jump no, no, no. to a conclusion about a guy. To me, it's not a jump. It's all I'm saying is, okay. is that in the, in the sense that the, the idea of something that is, doesn't have a cause in other words, you, you, you come to an infinite regress when you ask, why right. is there anything? And does There's God a have a cause? No, I'm not saying that God has or doesn't have a cause, but I'm saying okay. that, aspect, so, the, that aspect of reality is there and doesn't go So away. you yourself are still winding up at a position of we have no idea, but before you get to that no, point, you feel like you have all, to inject this extra no, thing. No. no, I'm saying that's what has, that what has, has most traditionally been the response to why is there anything at all? Why is there what you know? Aristotle said, right. you know, the so, prime mover. The, I'm I'm just going back to yeah. the oldest approach. So why does that? Why do, but, but the thing is, why does that lead you to the conclusion that some god exists? Well, I'm saying that's what I'm. I'm saying that to the the extent that there is something that exists without a cause, I'm calling that god. Right. Well, we don't yeah. think that a God that isn't well-defined is in any way useful as an explanation. But uh, maybe right, you could that mull that over and, uh, and that call back next time, okay, uh, and we can talk to you again. There's All right? been thousands of pages defining it, so right. that would just be your opinion. Yeah, but it's you've already like, rejected a lot of those. Th of yeah, you say there's thousands of pages, but you started no, this no, call no. by saying that you don't believe it's literally true, which doesn't no, give no, us no, a no, lot of no, information no, to go on. I'm not talking uh -huh. about the Bible. I'm talking about Aristotle. I'm talking about philosophy. Aristotle wasn't about... all that authoritative either. He yeah. had some I good good original ideas, but he... I didn't say anything yeah. about him being authoritative. I didn't right. say he was authoritative. Yeah. I didn't say that. But You said that it's ill-defined, and I'm saying there's been thousands of words written about defining what the unmoved mover is or the prime yeah. mover, so it's not ill-defined. But an answer so, can be very old and traditional and still wrong. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't, I don't care about all those other definitions of the unmoved mover or whatever. I only care about what you think. That's what I think. Okay. Wait, and we still have no idea oh. what that is because you've not actually defined it. it. Uh, just look up unmoved mover. No, yeah, no, I'm not. I've read okay. about unmoved both, mover. Uh, it's yeah. not a good argument. Yeah. No, in your okay. opinion, it's not. But you All said right. it wasn't defined. Uh, like I said, uh, we've got a limited amount of time on the show, so we're yeah. going to move on to another it. caller. Uh, yeah. But you're welcome to call back again. Yeah. Right. Unmoved mover. Thanks. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. We know it's on Wikipedia. Yep. It's also on <laughs> ironchariots.org, which is a great resource for this kind of argument. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and moving on to uh, McKinley in Georgia. Yes. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How about you? Very well, I'm thanks. Good. I'm ashamed of my hick. Your, oh, your accent? Yes. Uh, don't worry about it. I mean, oh. so... <laughs> it is a, it's always a mistake to... Uh, to pigeonhole somebody's personality by their their superficial features, and that includes their voice. Uh, so just just relax, you're fine. All right. 
I was going to ask, uh, why why bother with the labels in a like? I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> why label yourself as an anything? You know. Well, because it accurately describes our position on the question of God. I assume you're talking about the label atheist. Or any label. Just why would you want to try, why would you want to, to try to defend a certain viewpoint? Why not just. Because it's because useful. You up, because you could end up changing your mind. And of you course. And then I'll change my label. Mm-hmm. Uh, like well, let, let me give you a uh, uh, one example and see what you think about it. Uh, people ask me, uh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a software engineer. That's a label. Is there anything wrong with answering that? No, but that's your career. That, that is sure, what you Sure, but it's still, it's still a label because, uh, I mean, language... Right. La- language is all about communicating things in a... In a uh, in an efficient way. Like, people are not mind readers. And uh, I could go into a very lengthy explanation of what I do on a day-to-day basis, but I find that when I say I'm a software engineer, that answers a whole lot of questions right out of the gate. And similarly, if people say, uh, are you religious? And I say, no, I'm an atheist. We've got a starting point. That doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be more discussion and explanation after that, but it is helpful to throw out that one word which has a lot of meaning in it so that people can begin to understand where I'm coming from. All right. Well, I guess that makes sense. Okay. Uh, Do you... uh, (laughs) Where where are you coming from? What do you mean? Uh, Are you atheist, theist? What are your beliefs? Uh... Well, is there like I'm a deist to a point? Okay. Like, I don't really care about labeling myself, but I'm a deist. But as far as like I accept the scientific, you know, discoveries and different things, but I do believe there's a God. Sure. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Do you? Uh, so my understanding of the word deist is that you think that uh, there is a God, uh, but that the God is basically uh, absent from the universe, that he was sort of a, a guy who started everything and then watched it go and doesn't, like, poke around or care about people's sex lives or whatever. Is that right? Yes. So, see, you offered the word deist, and I understood a whole lot about what you think without needing to go into that long, uh, long-winded explanation, even though I did anyway, Right. Right. So it's useful, is all I'm saying. Oh. Well, I could understand that. Okay. All right. Trying to think of something else we could talk about. (laughs) Well, uh, what do most people... uh, How old are you? Fourteen. Are you... uh, What are you, a freshman in high school? Uh, No, sir. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Uh, So... What then? I am in eighth grade. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Um, so, so uh, you're still in middle school. Do you have friends that you talk about these subjects with yourself? Me. Oh. So just you, <laughs> huh? Just you. Oh, you're uh-huh. homeschooled. Yes. Oh, I see. Ah. Okay. okay. But I'm not. But. A free thinker kind of homeschool. That's always been encouraged in my homeschool. Well, sure. that's good. 
you you we're should not, continue that. Right. We're not the kind of religious bunch that sit in the back trying to hide from society. Right. Okay. Well, uh, that's fine. I just, um, I, I hope that uh, you have, and I know lots of other homeschooled kids still have a lot of opportunities to come in contact with other people uh, and have conversations. And uh, I'm glad you called us because we like having those kind of conversations. And I'm just, I hope that you have more people like that in your life that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of. I agree. And you do know I'm a boy, right? I am a male. Uh, I could, I could Wait. tell, and that's also a label. Yeah. <laughs> there goes Jack. Which is, which is fine. I mean, it, <laughs> yes, I, I suspected that you identified as male, but even if yes, you hadn't, it, it'd be fine. Because last time I called uh, uh, Ron Baker or Backer. Don, 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 Don Baker. Baker. Yeah. Don Baker. I don't know why I said Ron. And Matt Delahunty, and they said she was going to hang up on us. Oh. Mm. Well, well uh, sometimes people yeah, make mistakes that. in the spur of the moment. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. My, like I said, my voice has been, it's always been kind of weird in a sense. Well, well, you're still young. That's so. okay. You still express yourself very well, so don't worry. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And I was also going to ask you a question. It's like, okay. okay, you have, you were talking about evolution and you were talking about how people in the school system, people are trying to, I mean, you know, with intelligent design and creation, people are mm -hmm. trying to okay. try to sh uh, sh uh, kind of cover up evolution. Like, no, you don't need to learn this. You need to, you know, learn intelligent design. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was going to ask, well, do you think it's fair that we not only, that uh, not only do we teach evolution in school, but we try to teach creation? as well like no not really um let, let me lesson. let me put it another way uh in school we try to teach uh enough things that will equip kids to understand uh the current information about uh the world around them so we spend a lot of time teaching like math at varying levels uh and we spend a lot of time teaching like United States history to kids who live in the United States. We try to teach civics so that they understand how government works. Uh, we try to teach them accurate science to the best of our knowledge. Uh, if a group came along and said, hey, listen, I think that calculus is offensive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want I don't want you guys to teach calculus anymore. I want you to teach people about uh magic number manipulating elves uh because uh the right way to find the answer to what is the area under a curve is to uh ask the elves and write down the number that comes into your head. We'd right. be against that. You see what I'm saying? Right. Now, is the Creation Museum in Kentucky that uh, Ken Ham created? Is uh, that that's not fun? That's not funded by the government or anything, is it? No, actually, it, it got, yes, it, kind yeah, of. it through tax breaks, <laughs> right? Yeah, they they got a lot of tax breaks uh, with, and they have actually a complicated history where uh, the some some other governor came in and tried to revoke the funds that had been given to this group for their misleading fake science museum, uh, and 
uh, <laughs> and they basically, uh, the Creation Museum sued them to get the money back, and they won, which we think sucks for the state of Kentucky, yeah. but that's what happened. But oh. it's not just funded by the government, if that's what you're asking. Oh, because I was, uh, I don't know, never mind. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just got done talking to the uh, 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 talk even, and I had everything uh -huh. laid out, and I had a good conversation with them. And it's like now they get on here, it's like I thought I had everything planned out, and now it's like it's kind of embarrassing because it's like, hey, I'm kind of stuck on stupid. I don't know what to say. No, you're not. Look, you're not stuck on stupid. Look, you it's are fun. stuck on 14. That's the worst yeah. thing that can be said about you. Uh, everybody learns stuff over time. Yeah. Uh, not anybody knows anything, uh, or as my friend Daniel says, we have no idea. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the best things you can do is learn to recognize and acknowledge when you make mistakes so that you can correct them and not make those mistakes all your life. That's part of growing up, and it's no big deal. Okay. But again, with the creation thing, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, you have, I mean, why do people still think that that's a reasonable debate? Why do they think it's like, okay, it's a balanced argument? It's like, okay, you got evolution on this side, and you got creation on this side, and they can, for some reason, we're still having this argument, but yet at the same time, it's like it's not even a comparable thing. One's backed up by evidence and the other's backed up by faith. Right. True. And that's why it's not taught in schools is because creationism and intelligent design are religious arguments. Right. Uh, they're not based on science. So um, we're still having this debate because there's still people out there who um, they're frankly making money off of pushing what they think is a controversy. It's a completely non-controversial um, concept in biology, you know, that evolution right. happened, it's real. Right. Yeah. And the job of science classes in school is to teach science. Right. Not to teach, uh, you know, the, the personal pet religious theories of whatever group happens to have the ear of the education department. Right. What about the young earth? Like, I want to know how uh, in creationism they have to believe the earth is only 6,000 years old. Like, how does that affect their faith? <laughs> well, they, they don't have to believe it. There's certain, there's different, like, um, schools of thought within the creation community. So there's there's the young earth. I know, you, earth. Have I know yeah. you have older. Yeah, you have yeah. young earth creationists, you have old earth creationists. And even among the young earth creationists, they can't decide if it's 6,000 years or 10,000 years or something else. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You, you'd have to ask them what their justification is for pinning that down to, you know, 6,000 or 10,000 or some other number. Well, I have, I have two grandparents who are younger creationists. Yeah. Mm. We argue all the time. We <laughs> yeah. argue all the time. And, That's... and, and they, uh, and I'm always saying, how, and they say, you're adding on to the Bible. I'm saying, how am I adding on to the Bible? I ask them, you're adding on just as much as I am. Yeah. That is true, and it's, it's like well said. It's like you're putting pieces together. It's like you're saying, okay, from, and they keep saying, uh, in the beginning, and I'm, and, and, they, and God created the earth in six days, and I'm saying, okay, but what does that have to do with when it began? Yeah. Like, why, why couldn't it have? Uh, why couldn't it have started 
13.8 billion years, God taking a break and then coming back a few uh, billion years later. Yeah. And it really just goes to show the egotistical uh, characteristics in humans. I mean, if you think about it, we have to think that we're the center of the universe. Well, we yeah, that's to. a good point. I mean. And that's really what it is. It's like, that's really what religion is. Yeah. It's a way to make people feel comfortable, like creationism. It's like, no, we're not animals. We didn't come from animals. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, let, me, let me make a, a little, you know, a, a casual recommendation to you uh, that, um, <laughs> uh, well, being homeschooled, you're not going to get uh, necessarily assigned a lot of books uh, about this topic, unless maybe you ask for them and your parents think it's a good idea. Um, but what I would like to recommend is that you approach the question of evolution not as some kind of political controversy, because that's not the main thing. I think uh, what's more important is to understand why it's considered settled science and how we got to this point in the last 150 years or so. So what I'd like to recommend is that you just uh, look for uh, a book about evolution that's recommended at Lehman, uh, the one that I found the best personally was The Blind Watchmaker by Richard Dawkins, which I found had a very clear style uh, that was understandable and doesn't push atheism at all. It's just primarily about the science. Uh, but I'm sure that people can uh, message me and, and recommend better books about evolution for someone your age. Well, my parents get me books all the time. Okay. That I have well, like, then really tell them I said you should check out The Blind Watchmaker. Right, but they're, uh, they're really understanding. Like I said, they encourage me to be a free thinker. They sure. are really encouraging. In fact, I got, uh, for Christmas, I asked for The Origin of Species, and okay. I got that. been reading on that. And I think The Origin of Species is a perfectly good book, but you have to bear in mind that it was written in a style that was <laughs> that is more reminiscent of the 1850s. Yeah. Is that right? 1859, right? Yeah, I think so. And so it's not necessarily the most approachable book, and also it's not necessarily accurate because there have been 150 years worth of scientific advancement since then. So it, you might be better off reading something more up to date. Right. Darwin's still my hero, though. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate that. <laughs> All right. You know, I think uh, Darwin would be proud to know that uh, if he was alive today, he'd be proud to know that his theory was proven true. Sure. All right. Well, thanks for calling, McKinley, and uh, we'll talk to you again some other time. All right. All right. See you Bye. around. Okay. Uh, Pedro in Lebanon. Uh, hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. Uh, you are in the country of Lebanon. Lebanon. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I mumbled. Yeah. <laughs> I know That's it's okay. Lebanon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I wasn't expecting to be. Um, oh. Okay. The so. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, how are you today? <laughs> it's okay. Fine. Uh, I was expecting Tracy. Um, <laughs> they told me Tracy, um, but it's okay. Oh. No, it's, <laughs> I'm glad it's okay because we're the only ones here. It's yeah. it's me and Jen Peoples. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's been on the schedule for me to co-host for a while now. So yeah, I saw it on the website. 
Uh, so anyways, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, I don't know if you already know my topic. So it's basically, I have this friend. So first of all, I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. And I have this friend. Um, he's he's not completely an atheist and not completely a theist. He's right on the doors, if you <laughs> if you want to say. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, so so there was this time when we actually sat down and I described to him what uh, and how I viewed the universe, and it's basically me saying that I prefer to say that I don't know rather than claiming something that I have no uh, uh, proof of. And we were able to move in, into the discussion till we reached a point where I truly couldn't know what to answer. And that was basically him saying that, what about um, the, the very, very tiny possibility that hell might actually exist? And that's when I really couldn't um, answer him because... How can you answer that? Yeah. So basically, this is the the kind of the crux of Pascal's wager. That yeah, you know, exactly. You know, you're better off believing because it, on the remote chance that a hell exists, you know, you'd spend eternity in eternal torture. Um, it's one of the, I, I guess, one of the most vile aspects of religion. That um, yeah, exactly. Y- you know, it's it's nothing more than this appeal to fear, and it's. It, uh, it's indoctrinated in kids from an early age. And the fact that it still grips adults who no longer actually believe in a God, but they're still clinging to religion on the outside chance that hell might exist and they don't want to go there. You know, it just kind of speaks to um, how powerful that level of indoctrination is. And I yeah, don't... It's- yeah. I mean, I don't think there's an easy way to break that indoctrination. Um, I do, I do know from talking to a lot of people and from you know going from that transition from theist to atheist myself, that that fear of hell subsides over time, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it helps to talk to other non-believers um, and to kind of explore the origins of that particular aspect of theology, as terrifying as it can be, basically not letting that hide under a rock, you know, look under the rock, turn it over, examine where it comes from. Um, What I found when I started investigating the Christian concept of hell was that a lot of people's um, version of hell isn't found anywhere in the Bible. You know, it's actually this extra biblical description that a lot of very... I guess well, um, talented and sadistic writers came actually, up with. Actually, what what religion is your friend from? Yeah, you uh, guys are Muslim. Yeah, Muslim. That's what yeah. I and so I, I mean, clearly right there. Yeah, and so I mean, I don't know what the the um, the Muslim, you know, the origins of the Muslim concept of hell is, but um, you know, people's concept of this, you know, eternal torture, it has to come from a very sadistic mind. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I mean, it's like, um, what kind of of benevolent creator would produce something like that as a punishment? You know, it exactly. I think here's the point because at some point uh, during the discussion we reached like uh, this possibility that he might 
not be uh, a truly benevolent God. So mm-hmm. like there is this, um, it was a weird imperfection, but like he, he, he accepts that there might be a possibility regardless of the type of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just the mere possibility of a hell existing. Yeah, certainly. but he, he accepted um, <laughs> possibly the inexistence of a God, but the hell thing. Is- if you come at it from that direction, there are all kinds of possibilities that, uh, that could be anything you can imagine. Just because something is written in the Quran doesn't mean that that's the most likely possibility. I think my favorite answer to Pascal's wager of all time was by the uh, great philosopher Homer Simpson, who said, uh, suppose we've chosen the wrong God. Every time we go to church, we're just making him matter and matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, reading the Quran and following the Muslim faith is no guarantee that you're escaping hell, uh, as a matter of fact, if there's no reason to think that uh, there couldn't be like a perverse God who who only rewards atheists. Yeah. Uh, not not for any particular drive towards right or wrong, but he just thinks it's funny to torture forever people who have found the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Do I think that's likely? No. But I don't base my actions on these outside fantasy chances of things uh, that could theoretically be true in some universe. Um, there's, a, there's a guy named John Loftus who was my guest on the show once. He, uh, he framed this as what he called the outsider test for religion, which is if somebody from a different religion than you were to make the same kinds of arguments, would you find those convincing? And oftentimes the answer is no, which is why the the arguments that people offer for their own religions, they can sometimes see that they don't make any sense when they shift their perspective like that. Yeah, I see, I see. <laughs> so I guess, sorry, we don't have any, like, you know, advice as to, hey, do these three things and your fear of hell will disappear or anything like that for your friend. But it is a process. And I guess, you know, if you can just uh, reassure your friend that it does go away at some point. Yeah, because you see, for me, I never had that fear. I just, actually, I was happy that that I accepted that it doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Yeah. um, I mean, it's it's not a nice idea yeah yeah exactly um i have a further uh question um and that is um okay let's say that he is over the fear uh of hell because he also has this first other fear of even if there is no hell that means there is no there's nothing after that right and that Mm -hmm. is scary for him and so there is this fear regardless of what he tries to believe right but the thing is, it's kind of like um, Richard Dawkins' comment that, you know, just by being born, you've won the cosmic lottery. <laughs> right. You yeah, get, I heard you say that once. You know, and, yeah. you get to be here and experience yeah. life. And so that's, that's it. It's like, okay, this is the one and only life you're sure to have. So you're going to spend it on your knees begging some non-existent deity for favors, or are you going to go out and live your life and, you know, um, on your deathbed, look back on a wonderful life with friends and family and, you know, great experiences and think, okay, this was really cool. Or, you know, are you going to approach death with fear and dread and regret? You know, 
you know, my goal is mm -hmm. to never um, approach death with regret. Yeah, exactly. I see your point. Yeah. I really hope that he does see that some way. Yeah. I mean, you can obsess about the fact that, you know, one day we're all going to die. And, you know, and it's, it's not something fearful. It's a normal process that happens. And, you know, it's like, I know that the people who care about me will be sad and they're going to miss me. Because, and I know this because I've had the same experience when people I care about have died. But I won't care because I'll be dead. And it's just, yeah. you know, game over. Also, if you'll let me, I'd like to give you some absolution. <laughs> if your friend never accepts that he doesn't need to be scared of hell, it's not your fault. Right. <laughs> it's not your job to fix everybody's opinions. Uh, your friend might live his whole life thinking that there's a hell and thinking being a good Muslim is the only way to stay out of it. And that's a shame for your friend, but... Uh, it's not your fault. Just keep yeah, I know, I know. being a good friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only because he asked me and uh, yeah. he wanted to answer the discussion. That's all. Okay. Well, so, yeah, thank you for it. calling. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, good luck to you and your friend. Okay, thank you. Yes. Bye. Don in Los Angeles. Oh. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, you know, actually, the reason I'm calling is because something that Tracy said uh, several years ago, she was dealing with Eric the Watchmaker. I don't know if you guys remember that uh, particular episode. No, sorry. No. Okay, any, anyway, it's about the Cologne thing. And, okay. okay. And it's funny because it keeps coming up. It's been coming up. Um, uh, just about every time, every episode you guys are on. Well, always, sure, I mean, Christians yeah, seem to think meeting. it's a really good argument and keep <laughs> keep using it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, 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 let me just go through what I understand about um, uh, theoretical uh, physics. Are you, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> are, are, you, yeah. are you a theoretical physicist? Uh, no, I am a uh, amateur theoretical physicist. I follow okay. Sean Connery, uh, so, Sean Connell, and uh, do uh, you uh, have formal education in theoretical physics? No. Okay. Okay. Does that disqualify me? No, but it also means we're not very inclined to accept your word for something that yeah. that you understand oh. about physics. I mean, I it's nothing personal. You wouldn't accept my no. word for something I said about, uh, you know, Renaissance history or something yeah. that I know very little about, right? Yeah, but this is something that's come up a lot, and you guys are aware of a lot of the physics that's going on, um, uh. the arguments that are being brought up on physics. So. What I'm going to tell you is, and I'll make it really short, I don't know how much time we have, I'm going to just say uh, very quickly what is the main issues right now in theoretical physics as to where we are, where we're going. According to okay? a guy who isn't a physicist. Got it. Yeah. According. Yes, please. I am not a physicist. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so we, when we start with the Big Bang, okay, that's a start. Right. Uh, we don't know what happened before the Big Bang. Sure. But but we're pretty sure about what happened at the Big Bang or just right after that. Well, yeah, approximately yeah. 10, 10 to the minus something, something, something seconds. Yeah. 
Right. Wait a minute. Are you a theoretical physicist? Nope. None of us on, oh, in this oh. conversation are those. I, <laughs> I actually had the number at the top of my head at one time, but I'm getting older, so what are you going to do? <laughs> okay. So uh, it starts off being very tiny, very dense, uh-huh. very hot. There's no coordinates within it. There's no inside or outside. It's very smooth. Uh, entropy is, is very low, and, uh, and there's a lot of uh, potential energy, okay? And as, we, as the universe progresses, it cools down. We've got the formation of atoms and planets and, and galaxies, and now we know that the galaxies are speeding away from themselves at ever, ever increasing speeds. And so the projection into the future is that it's going to end very cold, very smooth, very non-dense, high entropy, wait, and equilibrium. Wait. Okay. It's funny but, you should bring this up because I mentioned I just went to a talk by my friend Daniel, who is a, a physicist. Uh, yeah. And this was actually one of the things he talked about, that for a while there was some amount of uncertainty about whether the universe would continue expanding and, and die of cold, basically, or would collapse back in on itself and crunch. Uh, and yeah, Well, that, that pretty much, Larry Krauss yeah. and, and uh, Sean Connell, uh, uh, both of them, and, and a bunch of other physics. I've been watching this stuff for a long time. Yeah, but uh, I mean, this is one of those the, things that, that as, as he mentioned, we had no idea about, and we're starting to solidify more answers about right now, and the answers are somewhat surprising, and that's why people, uh, that's why the concept of dark matter came up. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure how long an explanation you want this to be. Uh, where I'm, I'm where are you going with this? I'm going well because it's important to understand what you know. They use the term heat death. Uh, where the uh, but this, but you already said something wrong, which is that people assume that there's going to be a heat death of the universe, and that's actually not where we're at right now. No, I'm sorry, I have to disagree with you. Uh, if you check with with theoretical physicists, I did. He just went to- <laughs> this week. I went okay. to a talk yeah. by a guy who works at CERN. Okay, what <laughs> I'm saying, I, I I understand that. Okay. Okay. Uh, but these are are models, and the models that are being presented are trying to answer the question of what the basic question is. This. When things become at a state where there's uh, total equilibrium, uh, everything is cold, how do you get back to a state in which everything is dense and, and very small? And that is the problem. So, Sean... Um, uh, okay, but I just the, said... <laughs> uh, you no, know, you, what you're saying is one person's idea. There's a bunch of models out there. And because he said that, I can tell you that the... The vast majority of theoretical physicists are in a conundrum as to what happens when we have reached uh, total entropy. I'm sorry. Not only did we start off asking if you're a physicist, but you're now contradicting something that that I heard actual physicists say. Uh, Okay. Well, we can we can say that there's a question there. Okay. Sure, we can, right. but then I don't want yeah, you to build an argument saying, off of the assumption that you started with. The, the argument that I'm building is actually uh, the, 
the majority of theoretical physicist ideas. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've listened to Larry Krauss. I've listened to Sean Connell. I mean, I've, uh, you know, I've listened to my my recent one is Frank, uh, Frank uh, Wilczek, uh, which is which I would hope to get to at some point, but that's down the, the, the line a little bit. But the the question is, how do you get back to a state in which there is uh, uh, no entropy, high energy denseness, and, and smoothness? And this is a conundrum. Uh, Sean Connell came up with this um, okay. idea. Can you skip to the answer? Back in the early to the what? The answer. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to the get answer, to someplace. The the answer is they don't know. Okay. That's the answer. The what answer is, is is they're trying to they're trying to develop models that will get them to the point of how do we get back to a state of uh, high energy, low entropy, uh, uh, small dimension, and, and an expanding universe. And Con Connell's original model was that the the, the, the uh, uh yeah but i meant get to the part the, where you talk about why you called because you're giving a whole lot of preface and background and i just want you to make your point because we've okay. got like 18 minutes left in the show and we're not going to spend it all oh, on I this did. call okay all right so the question is uh how do we get how do we if the universe does end in what's called heat death in which nothing is happening, how do you get back to a point in which... You're uh, just asking the same question yeah, again. Yeah, yeah you said this already. It. Yeah, okay. So, so that is basically the question. What I'm bringing up is, is a conundrum that... Yeah, what's the answer? Right yeah. Now. You want me to give you the answer? I, I want oh, you to okay. get to the point of okay. why you called. You, you have okay. a point to make, right? Make it. So I, I can't make a point until I get to a, uh, a basic understanding of what the problem is. All right. Well, let us know when you get to that understanding. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's your problem. I was pretty much done with that guy when he said, no, I have no background in theoretical physics. I don't mind talking it's to like somebody a, who doesn't know theoretical physics. See, I wouldn't but... <laughs> mind except it always goes down this path. Right. No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't mind having a discussion about the things we read, but then I don't need this person's conclusions based on his incomplete understanding of physics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but some conclusion would have been nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it didn't look like we were anywhere close to that. Yeah. <sighs> Angelo in Alaska. Hello, how are you? Good. Great to talk to you both. Hey, yeah, I just want to correct you guys on one thing about how great and big uh, Texas is. Uh, we can't beat. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, Geographically, uh, you uh, are correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at any rate, uh, I am uh, an atheist, and I have uh, wanted to talk to someone about this for a while. Um, there seems to be more of a trend now for people in the, uh, particularly the Christian faith, to be somewhat more accepting of uh, a homosexuality. Um, I'm starting to see that uh, more churches are being are saying things like, "Oh, uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with gays," and etc. And that's a kind of a good thing. And at the same time, to me, it's probably not because they're 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 glossing over. Um, 
the entire statements that are in that book. I don't know how a person who uh, uh, is, is, is homosexual could possibly uh, accept a religion that makes a point of calling them an abomination and saying that they are to be put to death. I, I, I don't buy this nonsense that there's some sort of new uh, testament or new whatever the hell it is that somehow uh, uh, wipes all of that stuff out out of uh, Leviticus and Romans and whatnot. Well, because yeah, I don't. Their boy Jesus, he basically said that he did not come to wipe anything out; that he, in fact, was there to to enforce the law. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't buy it either, especially since um, I, I don't have the verse at hand here, but there's a passage in Luke that actually um, suggests that uh, that prohibition on homosexuality is still very much in play for the New Testament. So um, sure. it's not just based on Old Testament scripture. Um, I agree. And the fact is, um, whether Christians are more accepting of homosexuality depends very much on the denomination. So, for example, Episcopalians... Right. They've, they've been fine with that for a long time. It's been, you know, no big deal. Um, a lot of the other um, mainline uh, progressive Protestant uh, religions are on the same page. Um, you know, Catholics are still as homophobic as ever. Um, yeah, that's You know, there's different, um, there's different Protestant religions that, you know, kind of go from one end of the, the spectrum to the other. Uh, most of the fundamentalists are still very anti-gay, um, and the, these fundamentalists are the ones that are funding a lot of these. Um, these they're kind of um, they're not legitimate research groups. Oh, um, I understand what you're talking you know, about. I didn't I didn't want to gloss over <laughs> the, the hatred that's still there. By yeah, the but I mean I, I understand what you're saying, and it's it's something that's baffling to me. Um, I did a couple of interviews at um, at Austin Pride back in I think 2009, something like that, and um, they were really kind of um, heartbreaking because uh, one of the interviews I did was with a trans woman who right. um, identified as a Christian, and she was part of a local church that um, it's not like a mainline denomination. It it's um, some kind of church that was specifically for like um, LGBT Christians. Absolutely baffling. Yeah, it's, it was. I, it, I, just, I just cannot wrap my hand. It's, yeah, it's also very much like so many uh, uh, people of color uh, uh, who don't have a problem with uh, with the Bible who embrace it, you know, and they seem to have glossed over completely the passage there in the Exodus where they're saying that slavery is an okay thing. You can own a human being. Yeah. And you don't have a problem with that. Well, but that's, I mean, that's all about indoctrination. And in fact, gay Christians are just as indoctrinated as anybody else. And one of the, one of the other interviews that I did there was actually with um, a young lesbian who admitted that she really didn't believe, but she couldn't come out to her parents as an atheist because she'd already come out as gay. And she just thought that was just, that was just too much for them to deal with. They were finally okay with her being gay, and she couldn't just hit them with the fact that she didn't believe anymore. So I think a lot of people, they find some you know, um, community like this LGBT church to belong to so that you know, they can be openly gay and at least have that aspect of their life intact without having to have the family you know, uh, drama surrounding coming out as atheist. But the other, the other person that, that I found really kind of, it's kind of one of the tragic interviews that I did, 
was with a, a young uh, gay man <clears throat> who identified as a, an evangelical Christian. And when I asked him how he could reconcile his sexuality with what it says in the Bible, he said, well, um, this is my sin, and it's a sin like anything else that people have, whether it's gambling or alcoholism or drug addiction, and it's just something I have to deal with, and, you know, he was basically saying that his God accepts him as a flawed human being. And I thought that was tragic because it's like no heterosexual person would describe their sexuality as a sin that was imposed on them by a God that's something they had to overcome. Um, So, anyway. I I, I just want to add that... uh, Brainwashing there. Yeah. As my friend Jeff D. has said very often, uh, the Bible is the big book of multiple choice. Yeah. And uh, the you'll find that almost all Christians, uh, first of all, have not thoroughly read the Bible, and second of all, don't have a problem with dismissing individual parts of the Bible that right. seem inconvenient or wrong to them as, well, it's correct, but it's, it's metaphor or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but if you but if you're a person who believes that your book is the word of your God, mm-hmm. then you couldn't possibly do that. So this demonstrates again the hypocrisy. And yet they do. This, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that they're I'm not saying that they're right to do that, but you're asking how could people do that? And and the answer is that we have all kinds of demonstrations about how people rationalize things. Uh, you know, your question I think is more about how do people manage to rationalize them things, things to themselves than about what the objective meaning of the Bible is, which <laughs> is very, very slippery, especially when you're dealing with modern Christians of various denominations. Yeah. So it, it's really more a question about psychology than anything else. Yeah. Right, but my question also was, how do you feel as, uh, as an atheist? The Bible is garbage. Is that the only... No, no, no. What I was going to say is how do you deal with people who on on, on one hand, one view, you can say that they are trying or at least in some way moving out of that, where they're at least acknowledging that these prohibitions and whatnot are are, are wrong and evil. They're at least Mm -hmm. doing that part. Some of them are. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, they're not going far enough. I guess that was my problem because I ripped into a guy... Uh, for this, for this very same thing, and I didn't want to like. I mean, he, he obviously was cracking on the whole uh, mm-hmm. uh, religious belief. He started to do that, but then when he started in on the uh, the homosexual thing and the slavery thing, I just had to rip him. And I'm wondering if maybe I was too hard or too harsh. At the same time, I don't think I was because I think you know, if you're going to be a hypocrite, then come out and admit that that's what you're doing. Well, that that really depends a lot. Uh, <laughs> The ability to communicate effectively with a person is not just a matter of always of presenting to them what's straight up true or what's the facts. Uh, And you will often find that if you want to know if you were too hard on the person, uh, the real answer to that question can be found in, do I still have a good relationship with that person where I can still talk to them and have influence over what they think? If you drive that person to another extent, I don't care. 
So another okay. thing I really don't give them, if your mindset is that way, where you're going to just try to rationalize hatred, you understand that, that the, 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 the gay community, just what, 30, 40 years right. ago, if you were gay, they, they were putting you into mental institutions and yeah. zapping your freaking brain out. But so, if I mean, you don't I mean, care what this guy thinks, then you don't have to care how you're communicating with him. And if you want to convince him of something, then you do have to care what he thinks. It can't be right. both. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that you were right or wrong to talk to him a certain way. I just, I'm just saying uh, it depends on the outcome, and the outcome is not always determined by the raw facts of the conversation. Beautiful. Okay. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's all. Uh, did you have anything else, Jen? No, no, okay. I'm good. All right, thanks for calling. And, uh, hey, thanks. You guys take care. All right. Uh, we have just a few more minutes, so before I jump to the last caller, who will definitely be shortchanged in the conversation, and I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to mention one more time our GoFundMe fundraiser uh, to get the Atheist Experience uh, produced live at the American Atheist Convention next month. Uh, you can find it on this video, which is on our YouTube channel. The date is February 25th, 2018. Uh, and if, uh, if you are enjoying the show and are local to Austin, come join us at Star of India right afterwards, 615. Uh, see you there. Right. And so we're going to hit our last caller. And again, Yosef in New York, we got like five minutes left, and I'm sorry to shortchange your topic, but what's on your mind? You got to make it quick. How are you guys? I'm good. Yeah, um, what's it called? I'm a Muslim, and mm -hmm. um, I just have a, I have a question. Um, I've been watching you guys for almost two years now, and uh, for watching. Thank you. Um, um, in Islam, we believe that everybody will rise after death in the day of judgment, and obviously, it's atheism. They believe once you die, nothing happens. But my question is, if Islam was true. And then you guys did rise up. What would your reaction be? That's that's the only question I have. Uh, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'd probably have some questions about, you know, the God saying, "Hey, how come you know you didn't make things more obvious to us?" Right. But, yeah. I mean, obviously at that point where this unexpected thing happens, there's not a, a lot to do at that point. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. except ask for more information and then ask if it's, uh, you know, if, <laughs> if it's okay if he would please not torture me forever. Yeah. But... <laughs> You know, I've, I've been watching a, sh a BBC show called Dirk Gently where uh, people have been, a number of people have been thrown into this really bizarre parallel universe that is somehow based on the scrawlings of a, of a young child and it has knights and wizards, but everything is really, really weird. And, and the question you're asking me is similar to how would you feel if uh, I forget what that world is called, but how how would you feel if you wound up there? And the answer is, I don't know. I'd have to deal with that as it yeah. came up and improvise. Yeah, I, I know you guys have to leave soon. It just, for me, I, I don't know if you guys, do you guys believe that Hitler was a good person? 
No. The, who? Hitler. Oh, Hitler, no. I mean, no. you wouldn't be asking that question if you didn't think the answer was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it's hard for me to believe a man like Hitler killing six million innocent Jews mm -hmm. and a woman that's innocent all her life at the end of the day when they both die they both will be in the same situation a just a warm warm buffet in a grave. sure but right. would Anne Frank wind up in heaven under Islam excuse me would Anne Frank one of the most famous uh, victims of the Holocaust yeah who was a Jew would she wind up in heaven under Islam? Um, well, for me, to be honest with you, I don't know too much about, like, I know Islam, but we're like, like, if we don't know the question, we really can't answer it. Okay. But what I do know <laughs> well, is then that, yeah, that's first, not a very good metric uh, yeah. of saying that Hitler would be treated differently than, the, than his Jewish victims. Uh, it seems very likely that uh, under the doctrines of Islam, a lot of the Jews mm -hmm. would wind up in hell. Yeah, as much as Hitler, maybe with Hitler. Yeah, yeah um, what's it called? Um, what I what I was uh, what I believe uh, that Islam teaches us that if 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 that if the people that had no knowledge about Islam, God wouldn't God wouldn't do unjust for them in the day of judgment. Like they wouldn't they he wouldn't just put you in hell without you knowing. Like if you had if you had a good life and you never knew about Islam. That's unjust if God just throws you in the hellfire. I mean, that's my, my opinion. I know you okay. guys have a different opinion. So yeah. if, I were, if I were ignorant of Islam and I died, I could get to heaven. But if you told me about Islam and then I died without accepting it, then I would probably go to hell? No, like if you guys... If you guys, in your heart, you see the truth, but you deny it. That's what we believe. Not like, like Okay, but if, if I didn't know about it in the first place, I'd be clear, right? Uh, and the Day of Judgment, we believe that you're going you're gonna to find the truth, and God is going to judge you uh, with just. He wouldn't, unju he does, he wouldn't unjust anyone. You know, it's going to be, everything is going to be just. Okay, what it's if Hitler decided to accept Islam on the Day of Judgment? No, 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 I'm sorry, um... No, no, in, 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 in your lifetime, like, like Hitler lived a, a bad life, what, what I believe. He killed innocent people, and, 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 I, and I, I know he's a, he's a what's it called, a, and when he, he died, that's it, your test, your test is over. We believe, every, we believe okay. a life is a test. Okay. So Anne Frank could be in hell, and she could be Hitler's roommate, for all we yeah. know. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, it's I not a great moral system. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's it called? Yeah, I just wanted to know your opinions, and and you guys, you know, and I just wanted to know about what would you guys feel? You know, I just felt like for me, my opinion, I just feel like that's unjust. A lady that's innocent and Hitler both are gonna end up the same situation. You know, that's 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 my only question. But like like and and I you know I know I can't prove there's a God because I've been watching you guys show a lot, and a lot of people don't never show yeah. proof. You know, it's really hard, you know, but at the same yeah. time, I, we can't disprove there's and, a God, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, I warned, I told you uh, we had a short time left, and, and now yeah. it's over. Uh, and I just want to say that it was going to drive me crazy. The land I was thinking of was Wendemore. Oh. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you for calling. Uh, try again some other week. Uh, we'll talk to you later.
Thank you, Russell and Jen. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. bye. And that's our show. Uh, see you at American Atheist, hopefully, and uh, see you at Star of India. Thank you for being my co-host today. Thank you. It was fun. Bye.